And I want to beg your attention, if you don't mind, with me on this morning to the book of Luke, chapter 4. Luke, chapter 4. And I just want to take this reading, Luke, chapter 4. Reading at verse number 1. Through verse number two. That's Luke chapter four. Reading from verse number one, and we'll end our reading at verse number two. Then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Being tempted for 40 days by the devil, and in those days he ate nothing, and afterward, when they had ended, he was hungry. Let me just repeat that. It was, it was a short reading, so let me just... Then Jesus... Being filled, say filled. Come on, we got to do better than that. Not because we might be small in number. That doesn't mean we're small in spirit. Say filled. Amen. All right, beautiful. Being, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from Jordan, that's the Jordan River, and was led by that Spirit into the wilderness, being tempted for 40 days by the devil. And in those days he ate nothing. And afterward, when they had ended, he was hungry. Say hungry. hungry. I want to speak to you this morning for the next few minutes from a sermon I've entitled, From the Water to the Wilderness. From the water to the wilderness. On last week, Goyo spent some time giving a brief description or idea of what the wilderness is and what it looks like. And he shared things like it was a dry land, a hot place, a, a wild, isolated, barren place, and an obscure or unknown place, a deserted or desolate place place. In other words, when you think of the, the wilderness, the, most times the wilderness was seen as a place where, where nothing good would transpire. As a matter of fact, in, in ancient literature, the, the wilderness was seen as the dwelling place on earth for, for evil spirits and nothing good transpired in the wilderness. If you went to the wilderness, chances are you, you went to be isolated. If you went to the wilderness, chances are you may have been exiled from your people group. If you went to the wilderness, chances are the thought process was you went there to die. It was perceived that nothing good would have come out from the wilderness. 
What's interesting about the wilderness as far as the scripture would conclude is that God would take something that, that man would deem a dangerous place to ultimately show that it can still be divine. God would take a place that human beings would ultimately rele relegate as being harmful and he would show for that not only might this place be seen as harmful but because I am there it is also deemed a holy place. You, you guys not hearing this, a place that might be deemed as not good, a, a place that might be deemed or destined for death. God takes it and he uses it to showcase his power, his authority, and his sovereignty. So the desert, the wilderness, this barren place for all intents and purposes makes its way within the confines of the history of God's saving grace for mankind as a place that the child of God must go into as they transition on into their promise. So when you look at scripture, the scripture often talks about the wilderness as a matter of fact. You, you would do, if you were to do a simple word count, the word wilderness is referenced in all of the Bible approximately 300 times. So it's a place, though harmful, God uses to prove that it becomes helpful. It's a place, though desolate and though deserted, God says, I need for you to appreciate the divine nature in the destiny of this deserted, barren, desolate place. And in case you didn't realize, oftentimes the, the concept of the wilderness is not just about a geographical, physical location, but just as many writers of scripture would help us to see, this idea becomes a metaphoric uh, symbol for you and I when we think about what we go through in our, in our, in our life, our lives processes. So here it is within the confines of the book of Luke. It's interesting because in, in Luke chapter number 4, if you take up the reading from verse number 1, it is clear that Jesus would have ultimately made his way from the Jordan. But, but it might be lost in translation because if you go back into, into Luke chapter number 3, look at this from verse number 21. When all the people were baptized, it, it came to pass that Jesus also was baptized. And when he prayed, the, the, the heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove upon him. And a voice from the heavens which said, you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And the reason why I say some of this might be lost in translation in connecting verses 21 through 22 of chapter 3 with verses 1 following of chapter 4 is because smack dab in the middle of verses 21 and 22 of chapter 3 and verses 1 of chapter 4 is a genealogy of Jesus that traces Jesus all the way back to Adam. And so what, what, what Luke is doing as far as we understand, he, he is different from Matthew's approach in showcasing Jesus' genealogy and his connection as being the son of David. No, Luke is trying to show a connection to, to those who are outside 
of the purview of, of Judaism. If you weren't a Jew, you were a Gentile. And Luke is trying to connect with his Gentile crowd. So whereas Matthew would show the connection of Jesus to David, Luke would take the opportunity to show the connection of Jesus and connect him all the way back to Adam. But notice if you recall, for those of us who are quick on the draw, for those of us who, who don't have to go very fine scripture, notice if you would, the minute you associate Jesus with Adam, the minute you think about a garden or the wilderness concerning Jesus, there is an automatic connection that ought to be recognized with Adam, Eve, and the garden of Eden. So when you see, and you see the transition that Lucas is attempting to make, here it is in verse number 21 of chapter 3, we see that Jesus himself was baptized. Then Luke shows this genealogy of Jesus, connecting Jesus all the way back to Adam. But what he's also trying to do is he's trying to drudge up those images, and he's trying to remind the people of the history that Moses recorded about Adam and Eve all the way back. According to Genesis 1, 2, and 3, in the days when God had just formed and fashioned man and woman. And you remember that according to, to Genesis chapter number 2, as, as, as God fashioned the earth and he fashioned creation, he, he then established man in a particular garden which was named Eden. And uh, it, it's interesting because we, we see that God created and he formed and fashioned not only Adam, but later on he would form and fashion Eve. And then we, we engage in the process of chapter number three after God had given Adam and Eve a very specific command to not eat of the particular fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil for the day that they ate, the scripture said, they should have surely died. But in Genesis chapter 3, one day in the process of time, here comes the serpent and he entices Eve and ultimately you know how that ends. We know how that ends. She takes of the fruit. Not only did she eat of the fruit, but she gave to her husband with her and he as well did eat this fruit and sin uh, came into the earth at that point and eventually as a consequence they had to be kicked out the garden. So when you think about what is transpiring in the parallels of Genesis chapter 3 and now the reminding parallels of what Luke is about to do as he introduces Jesus going into the wilderness, here it is we have two scenarios of encounters with the serpent, two scenarios of encounters with the devil. In the first encounter, they failed. But in the second encounter, Jesus is going to show all of mankind how to handle the devil. In the first encounter, they forgot, but for a moment, and it cost them everything. And in, in, in the second instance, Jesus will not forget, not for one second, what the word of God says. And he would walk out of the garden as opposed to, in the first instance, being kicked out the garden. So here it is as Luke is, is about to showcase this, this time, this testing, this, this place, and this instance. He really wants to bring to view, let me, let me bring to view what man ultimately did when they leaned on their own understanding. And let me show you Jesus who is our example, who is 
our king, who is our master, and, and how he deals with the devil. If you want to learn how to manhandle the devil, then you got to learn from Jesus. Because in a sense, we can't lay hands on the devil, but certainly we can handle the devil in a right way. And so here it is, we look at this particular text. I said we, we're going to try to be short on this morning, but I want us to see this as, as, as you look at verse number 21 of chapter 3. As soon as Jesus is baptized, as soon as he comes out the water, Luke transitions him going into now the wilderness. And I think that also is an image for you and I because here is what I know from doing surveys in my short 20 plus years now of preaching. Here is what I know. The average person when they come to Christ, the average person when they say, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. The average person when they decide to give their life to Jesus, there is a thinking or sometimes a misunderstanding that says everything about my life is going to be better now. And so we believe, many people believe, as soon as they become a Christian, if they had financial issues, well, I'm supposed to have all my finances in check. If I had marital issues, well, all of a sudden, my marriage is going to be renewed. If I was single, well, guess what? I'm going to find a spouse. We believe within the, 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 the contents of our minds that as soon as we, we become Christians, everything about our life, we won't encounter any pain. We won't encounter any sorrow. And there's a false notion that says if you encounter pain, sorrow, trial, or tribulation, or alike, you are not following step by step the word of God. But here it is. I believe that Jesus is also trying to look as is, is showcasing a pattern here that when we decide to give our lives to God and we go down into the watery grave of baptism and we come back up, God has to take us to a place to prepare us ultimately for what we're going to encounter ahead. Let me just fast forward and give you the, the, the end of the story before Jesus could make it to the cross. He would have to endure the Garden of Gethsemane. But before he even got to the Garden of Gethsemane, he would have to go into the wilderness. Let me repeat that one more time. Jesus', Jesus purpose was to come to go to the cross. But before he could get to the cross, he had to go through his Garden of Gethsemane. But before he could even get to the Garden of Gethsemane, Timothy, before he could get to a place of truly understanding and truly showcasing in his humanity that not my will but thy will be done, he also had to go to the wilderness. So before you could go to your cross, you have to go through your Gethsemane. Before you get to your Gethsemane, we have to go through our wildernesses because it's in the wilderness that God does some things in us, through us, and for us. Look to the person next to you and say, we have to go into our wilderness. Come on, look to the person next to you and say, we have to go into our wilderness. Make no mistake about it. There are times when we end up and we engage the wilderness because of mistakes or at times because of the mistreatment of others. But more often than not, when we are walking step in step with God, 
God leads us into the wilderness when the time is right for us to learn some things and to grow. So many of us might lose, might lose this first point in translation because, because oftentimes we, we, we find ourselves in an isolated place. We find ourselves in our several wildernesses because of, of, of mistakes. But here are some observations I want us to see very, very quickly as we look at Jesus' experience in the wilderness. As we think about Jesus' experience in the wilderness, here's what I want us to see. And if you're taking notes, take this down. I'm going to run through these really quickly. Number one, Jesus was led there. He didn't just stumble in. He, he didn't just happen uh, and while he was walking, realize, oh, you know, I'm in the wilderness. No, 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 no. Jesus was led into the wilderness. That means that there was some intentionality on the part of God to take the Son of Man, to take our Savior and guide him into this desolate place. So I need for us to appreciate that when we are walking step in step with God, there is an intentionality of God and by the Holy, through the Holy Spirit to take us into our wildernesses. So number one, as we look at the observance here in this account of Luke chapter number four, I want us to observe that Jesus was led there, according to Luke, by the Holy Spirit. There is an imagery here whenever the word led is used. JP, come up here really quick. Let me, let me, let me, let me. Come, come up here really quick. There is an imagery whenever the word lead is used. Because when you hear the word lead, for, for somebody that does not have sight, leading looks something like this. I'm, I'm blind. Let me, let me do this way. I'm blind. So, so if, if I'm blind and I'm, I'm trying to go this way, how, how, are you, is that how you lead me, JP? I don't know. That's how I'm leading. That, is that how you lead me? Okay, okay, okay. All right. Now no, you're blind, right? There, there are different ways. Just imageries, right? There are different ways to lead, right? So, so in this instance, I was blind. He, 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 he held my hand. And are, you, are, we, are we clenching fingers? Ah! But, 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 but in this instance, no, notice there, there are different ways to lead. And, and so I, I'm, I'm taking him by the hand. He's, he's clasping his hand in mine and we're walking along. That, that's one way that you could lead probably a blind person, right? But, but then there's another way if somebody doesn't have, have sight. So, so, so here, here it is. I, I want you to be the blind person. And I'm, I'm going to take you this way. Close your eyes. Don't, 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 right? Close your eyes. Now, he doesn't know anything. But if, if, if I have to lead him, there's another way I could do it. Yeah? The point is there's an imagery when you think of somebody that's leading. But there's also a mental aspect of leading as well. It's the mental aspect of leading that sometimes we miss. Because in the mental aspect and picture of leading, you're talking about who are you really listening to or what voice are you listening to. Anybody ever had a decision to make or you wanted to do something and, and you heard two voices in your head, your own head? Just do me this solid. Just, just humor me on this. 
Close your eyes for a second, really, really quick. Close your eyes for a second, and I want you in your own voice to just say your own name. Just close your eyes. Close your eyes, really quick. Close your eyes. Just say your own name in your head. Did you hear it? Did you hear, did, did you hear your voice in your head? You're only really supposed to have one voice, right? But sometimes, depending on what the situation is, you could have two or three voices in your head. One voice saying, all right, you know, that's what you want to do. You go ahead and do it. But a next voice that's, that's competing with that voice saying, ah, oh, no, I don't think you should be listening to that voice because, you, you know, you know better, so you, you shouldn't be doing what that voice is telling you to do. And that's, that's the inner struggle that Paul often talks about. Thanks, JP. That's the inner struggle that Paul talks about, talks about that the things that we, 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 we want to do or the things that we don't want to do, we find ourselves doing, and so there is a conflict. Why is that? Because in the flesh, there is a voice in here that wants us to fulfill the lust of the flesh. But then there is a competing voice, and that voice is, is, is also helped and encouraged by having a good conscience. But then there is another voice that is contrary to this flesh voice, and so there are competing voices. Well, the idea of lead here also carries with it a mental connotation or a mental imagery. In that, which voice are you listening to from moment from, for to moment from time to time? If we are being led by the Holy Spirit, sometimes the Holy Spirit will take us into some places that the voice, our voice in our head, wouldn't want us to go into. If you had to choose to go into a desolate place, if you had to choose to go into a barren place for 40 days and 40 nights, if you had to choose the voice in your head when you, when you even entertain the thought might say, no, I, I, I don't think that wise. And we'll come up with 40 reasons why you should not go into the wilderness for 40 days. But when you are walking in step with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit will sometimes take us into some spaces and some places that human beings might deem dangerous. But we got to learn to follow God's lead. So here it is as we look at these observances. Number one, Jesus was led there. And as a result, we need to appreciate that we too will be led into the wilderness. Number two, watch this. Jesus encountered Satan there. And if we have to be real, if, 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 if we have to learn from the experiences of Jesus as it pertains to the wilderness experience, the same way that Jesus experienced the devil in the wilderness is the same way you and I will experience the devil in the wilderness as well. As if the wilderness wasn't hard enough by itself. Now we have to encounter the devil too? Yes. So not only do we recognize, number one, that Jesus was led there, and as a result, we too are led there, but number two, recognize that as assuredly as we will be led into our wilderness, understand that we will encounter Satan. As a result of this, here is my third observation, and I'll be really quick to my conclusion. The third observation is simply this. The wilderness, therefore, becomes a place for us of temptation, of testing, 
and trying. In other words, every wilderness that you and I step foot into has a purpose behind it. And if we fail to recognize the purpose for which we engage our wilderness, ultimately we would, we, 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 we would fail to learn the lessons that we need to learn and we would fail in the object, the object of the purpose behind the wilderness to begin with. So as we think about that, here's where I want to conclude. I said I was going to be short this morning. Here's where I want to conclude. Since we know we are led into the wilderness, and since we know that Satan ultimately is going to meet us in our wildernesses, and since we know that we will be tempted, tested, and tried in our experience, here is what I want to share with us, and I'll be done. Don't Go into your wilderness empty. Here's, here's my simple advice. Looking at Luke chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. Don't ever go into your wilderness experience empty. <laughs> you guys watching me funny. Look, look down at your text. Look, look, look down at your text. Look at Luke chapter 4. <laughs> then Jesus being what? Come on, come on. The, the, then Jesus being what? Filled with the Holy Spirit. Returned from the Jordan and was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness being tempted for 40 days by the devil. And in those days, he, he ate nothing. And afterward, th those things had ended. He was what? Hungry. But it says when he was going into his wilderness, he was full with something. By the time he concluded 40 days in the wilderness, he was empty of something enough to ultimately Express according to Luke here that he was hungry. But, but understand and appreciate this. Every trial and tribulation that would come that we know of according to what is recorded in the book of Matthew, for example. When, when Matthew records the temptations of the devil. Uh, you know, ask one of these, 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 these angels to turn the stone into bread. Cast yourself down and the angels will, will, will make sure that you don't dash your foot on a stone. You, you bow down and worship me and I'll give you all of these, these different things. But the very first temptation that comes his way that we know of, Luke ha helps us to recognize that for 40 days in between, the devil was at him. We don't know what the devil was trying to do in those 40 days. But we do know according to Matthew's account that after the 40 days when he was hungry, what was the first temptation after he was hungry after the 40 days? Turn this stone to what? Bread. Jesus was able to withstand the devil for 40 days because he didn't go in spiritually hungry. Jesus could withstand the devil for 40 days because he went in the wilderness filled with the Spirit. Jesus was able to stand up to temptation after the 40 days because even though he was physically empty, he was spiritually still full. And oftentimes, if we're not careful, here, here is where I think some nuances and, and some perspective is so important for the child of God. 
while yes there are times we go into the wilderness and we find God the truth is if we understand the God that we serve the God that we serve is everywhere so we don't go into the wilderness to find God God takes us into the wilderness to find ourselves in him so this is not about me going on a, or, or, or to try to find God. Listen, when you go into the wilderness, God is already there. When you're in the storm, God is already there. When you're in the fire, God is already there. If you go to Hades, God is there. I'm just trying to help us to see when we go into our wildernesses and we are led there, God leads us into this place, not to find him necessarily, but to find ourselves in him. But the reason why many times we, we trip church, the reason why many times we falter, the reason why many times when we find ourselves going through our, 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 our wilderness experiences that we, 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 we shrink and we, 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 we die and we fall down is because we engaged the wilderness void of the Holy Spirit. So when Jesus was engaging in the wilderness, when he entered into the wilderness, he was already full on something. Yeah, he might have had something to eat, but that's not the thing that was really fueling him. He was fueled by the Holy Spirit to the degree that when he was hungry, he didn't become hangry. He didn't speech the devil off the way that we might think about speeching the devil off. No, 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 no. When he was hungry physically, he was still able to look at the devil and say, listen, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. So we need to learn that even though we know for a fact, and I hope we recognize that all wilderness is inevitable, but we need to learn and appreciate that not only is our wilderness inevitable, but our encounters with the devil are inevitable as well. And church, if you and I have to overcome the devil, we, we have to be full, not of self. We have to be full, not of pride. We have to be full, not of history and anything that deals with, with the human being of me, of you, of I. We have to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So look to your neighbor. Look to your neighbor and say, neighbor, come, come, that's not who you say. Say it, say it with a sudden accent, neighbor. <laughs> say, don't do it. Don't go in empty. Come on, say it one more time. Say, neighbor, don't do it. Don't go into your wilderness empty. Church, shall we stand us together? We sing our song of invitation. If you need the prayer of the church, I want to encourage you to come forward and let it be known as we sing some more songs of praises unto Almighty God.